Welcome to the Anchor Podcast, a ministry of Rock Harbor Church. We want to help you grow in your walk with the Lord by an in-depth study of the Word of God. So grab your Bible and let's set a course for spiritual maturity. Here's Pastor Brandon with today's message. Let's look at uh, Genesis 9 now. We're going to move into chapter 9 of Genesis as we progress through the book that Moses wrote. And what we're going to talk about today is we're going to look at the coming off of the ark and how God's going to bless them and God's going to give them promises for this new recreation of life. And what we're going to talk about is really the main goal of sanctification. That's the title of the message. But what is the main goal of sanctification? Because remember, Noah's Ark is a picture of Christ. Coming off the Ark is a picture of our new life in Christ and what we're going to encounter, how we're going to live in this new life. And so it's a picture of salvation and sanctification. Well, what you're going to see is a constant repeated theme in this chapter about life. The protection of life, the sanctity of life, the sacredness of life is all going to be explained in this chapter. This chapter right here is the basis of our Constitution. When our framers wrote the Constitution, they wrote it in such a way that is based on the very verses you're reading on the sanctity of life. And so when they, the framers developed our laws, our, our ways of life, our values here in America, which are now under threat, they based it on this passage, the protection of life, the sanctity of life, the sacredness of life. It's all right here in this passage. So you're, you're reading something that's very profound because you will never see this in any false religion. You will not see this in any false political movement like Marxism, communism, where they do not value life. It is only found here in the Bible. And it's obviously a, a continuation of a theme. But this is where it starts, obviously. Well, let's talk a little bit about application for ourselves before we move into this. What I want us to pick up on, is this a picture of our sanctification? And the main goal of sanctification, obviously, you know the answer, is to become more like Christ, to become like Him in the way we think, our morals, our values, and whatnot. Okay, that's part of sanctification. But if you go one step further, why does God want us to be like Christ? Because if you exhibit the values and the thinking of the Messiah because he was the perfect man, what will come forth from you is a principle called the principle of life. Jesus said it himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I want you to follow this. Notice what he said and the order he said it in. Most people don't catch the order. I am the way. So you follow him, you do what he wants you to do, follow that way, and where does that way lead you? What's the next thing? To the truth. If you follow Jesus, you will know the truth. Now, if I go one step further and follow the progression, if I follow the truth, what will that truth give me? Life. You see the progression? Way, truth, and life. So sanctification is about following the Messiah in our discipleship to the truth, which then will give us life. Now, we've received eternal life and salvation, but we're talking about what's called the life principle. God will give the life principle and the death principle to Israel, and he'll say, choose life or choose death. Obey me, and you will receive life. Not life eternal, but the outworking of your life, uh, of your personal life will produce life. 
or disobey me and the outworking of your life will produce death. And what does that mean? Well, it could mean physical death too, that if you sin and disobey the Lord, you could actually kill yourself because that sin will destroy you eventually somehow. And we've seen people that do that with their lives. They destroy themselves by sin. But further on, past just physical death, we're talking about spiritual death, things of that nature. And again, I'm not talking about salvation. I'm talking about sanctification. The more you and I obey the Messiah, the more the life principle comes out of us. So for instance, the more you obey, the better your relationships with people will be because there will be a life principle. If you disobey the Lord, then it hurts your relationships. You will introduce a death principle into your relationships with people, friends, family, whatever. So for instance, if you're unforgiving, if you're uh, prideful, those things kill relationships, right? And so you can see the death principle works and the life principle works in how you relate to other people in relationships. So this life principle is what God is going to teach Noah, not just physical life, which is important, but it's also spiritual life as well. And so we'll take a look at that as we go through. But here's what I want you to understand. In contrast to this, our culture is what you would like would consider and the Bible would consider a death culture. We have now entered a period of our history where we're now celebrating death. What do you mean? Well, it's not just the outward celebration of death. It's what these things that these people do cause. So for instance, abortion, 62 million babies slaughtered in the womb, murdered in the womb. That is a death culture. And now it's legal to do that, obviously, since 1973. That right there is a death culture. If you look at even daily in the U.S., 1,600 babies are slaughtered in the womb daily. Worldwide, man, you're talking in the billions. Since 1980, there's been 1,552,000,000 babies slaughtered in the womb. That's a death culture worldwide. Now, you bring in these other facets. The ability to kill yourself. Euthanasia. Or soft euthanasia, if they do a one-world health care system or one-payer, single-payer system, that will happen. You will get a soft euthanasia from that. Think about the LGBT lifestyle that so many people celebrate now in our culture, but they don't understand. They don't tell you medically what's happening to those people, do they? Do you know the average homosexual lives to be about 40 years old without AIDS? 40 years old. If they have AIDS, it's about 37, 38, statistically speaking. That also goes for lesbians as well, because they get themselves into a lot of drugs that kill them eventually, in a very difficult lifestyle they start living, along with the suicides that accompany that. Think about why our suicide rates are increasing with our young generation. We have have taught them, you you can be a boy or a girl, whatever you choose to do. Do you realize that those people who do that end up, a lot of them, committing suicide. And they'll tell you, well, it's the pressure from these Christians that are putting on us. That's why, you know, they're killing themselves. No, it's not. It's because they're going against nature. They're going against the way God formed them. And when you do that, you lose it. 
you lose it. What do we say to people? If someone in your neighborhood says, hey, man, I'm Superman or I'm Batman, and they put a costume on, and they're running around your neighborhood as Superman, jumping off the roof, I'm Superman. We say, you know what? You're exhibiting a mental illness because you think you're something that you're not. In our culture, we used to say, wait a second, if you think you're different than what your biology says you are, there's something wrong up here and we need to get you some help. But now, mental illness is embraced. It's celebrated. And so instead of giving them the therapy they need to get out and understand what's happening to them, we got mothers who are physically castrating their own kids. We got mothers who are fighting the father who is separated, as you saw in the prophecy update, chemically castrating their kids. And the father has no say in it. And the court's siding with those people. It's happening in England. It's happening all over in Australia, different places around the world. That is a culture of death. That's what's reigning here. And so obviously you know who's in control of that. Satan, who comes to kill and destroy. And he does it through lies. You and I are entering a period of time that we have never seen in American history. America was founded, obviously, in Judeo-Christian values that promoted life, right? And now these crazy, ungodly politicians are promoting death. Think about our streets in L.A., San Francisco, or even here in Bakersfield, where they allow the homeless to live anywhere they want, defecate on the street, and shoot up heroin anytime they want to. There's needles everywhere. They got, they got a, a poop patrol in San Francisco that's paid $160,000 to spray off the sidewalks every day. That is medieval. That is going back in time to unsanitary laws and things that, that happened in the Middle Ages that caused the Black Death and things of that nature. That's medieval, but it's death. It's a culture of death that embraces that kind of nonsense. Wow. How far we have fallen. And the more these, these people in our country embrace this ungodly way of life, the more death you will see. How come they can't solve the crime in Detroit or Chicago of these people shooting themselves up on a weekly basis? How come they can't figure that out? Because they won't get at the real issue. The people who are doing it are immoral. That's why. And they don't want to go there because if you tell them they're not moral, then you're, well, you're a racist. And nothing to do with that. It has to do with the immorality that exists in those places. It's a celebration of death, and they won't deal with it. So if you have a culture that won't deal with the real issue, guess what will happen? More death. And we're starting to see these millennials lose hope in what they see in life. They don't have any will to live. And so suicide rates are skyrocketing because of that. I say all that, so you and you understand all that, but this passage is what counteracts that, that when a culture goes against what God's saying here, you're going to end up in a grave as a nation. And unfortunately, I'm watching this and nothing's stopping it. There's nothing stopping these things, which really concerns me, but maybe it's, it's showing us that we truly are living in the last days. Let's look at the text. And see what God has to say about this culture of death versus the culture of life. Verse 1. So God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, 
be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Again, this is the same task he gave Adam and Eve, obviously, and it's to be carried out, obviously, now in the new life that Noah has uh, encountered. Basically, Noah is a second Adam in a lot of ways. And so the idea here is be fruitful and multiply, so have babies, and then fill the earth means to spread out, is to move all over the face of the earth and do that. And, and so this is what humans are supposed to do, okay? Now, I want you to think about this. That is what our culture's going against. Be fruitful and multiply. So now they're telling people, look, you know, if, if you want to have unbridled sex and you want to just do what you want to do sexually, we'll take care of any mishap you might have. We'll give you a morning after pill or you can just have an abortion. That's what's happened because of all the casual sex people will have before marriage. Because our culture doesn't say it's wrong. Our culture doesn't even say it's wrong to live with somebody. That used to be a no-no 30 years ago. Oh, they're living together? Wow, that's no good. Now it's like, well, they're trying things out. We're going to see if it works out. The stats on people living together before they're married skyrockets for divorce. Skyrockets. Because they didn't connect mentally, emotionally, spiritually. They connected physically before the marriage. And then when they get into the marriage, they find out, I'm not connected spiritually, mentally, or emotionally, and there's nothing there other than a physical relationship. That's no good. But then that's, again, a celebration of a culture of death. Now, let me make a caveat and a sidebar to this. When it says be fruitful and multiply, it must be balanced with another passage. And I want to make a point here that's extremely important. I grew up in the Catholic Church where they, the, the priest told you, have as many babies as you possibly can. And man, you, you, you come from the, some of those Catholic homes, and man, 10 kids, 11 kids, 12 kids. I mean, it's like, whoa. It has to be balanced with this passage, 1 Timothy 5.8. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives, and especially for their own household, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever or an infidel. That passage has to balance out this passage. Otherwise, it's unbridled, having babies left and right. But Paul is saying, but if you can't afford those babies, you don't have them. Now, it doesn't mean that you practice abortion. That's not what Paul's saying, is that you have enough kids dependent upon you being able to provide for them. Does that make sense? Because what does our culture push? They push these mamas having no husbands, cranking out kids left and right, shelling them out because they get on welfare because of them. We had a relative in my family that was shelling out about eight kids, got on welfare, making a lot of money, having three dads, not married to any one of them, abusing the system. That's irresponsible to have a bunch of kids and not be able to provide for them. But that's what's happening in our culture, isn't it? And what happens in that culture of death when you crank out a lot of kids without a daddy and the mama can't afford them? Our prisons are filled with them. Ask any of our correctional officers. Ask the prisoner, where's your dad? I don't have a dad. They were raised by their mom who wasn't able to provide for them, not just monetarily, wasn't able to provide emotionally, mentally, everything a mom should provide. And so these kids turn to a life of crime, culture of death. 
right? So in your decisions to some of you young folks of how many kids should I have? Well, it's the idea. Yes, be fruitful, multiply, have kids, but have a amount of kids is determined on what you can provide. Not, it's not, I'm not even talking just financial. It's based on does the parents have the capacity to provide spiritually, emotionally, and mentally all that that kid needs? Because if, if a mom or a dad can't do that, they should limit how many kids they can have because they cannot adequately provide for that. There's some people that shouldn't have more than one kid maybe. Now again, we're not saying not have kids, but it needs to be balanced with how much I can provide. So for instance, if a mom and dad start shelling out 10 kids and they're not there emotionally for that kid, guess what it sets up the kid to be? He's a stat. I can guarantee you that kid will turn to drugs, sex, alcohol, you name it, rebellion, all goes through that kid's mind in his teenage years when his parents are checked out. And this is the problem we're having in our culture. They're not using biblical values to balance things out. And so kids are being neglected because the mom and dad are so dysfunctional. They have kids. And a lot of people will have kids. Well, I'm going to have a kid to make my marriage better. That's crazy. Are you insane? We're going to have a child to make our marriage better. You've just now complicated your life. You brought a kid into this world because you want to fix something. You're, that's the most insane thing I've ever heard people do. But they do it. And guess what? The kid comes, and now life is more complicated, and you have less time for yourself, and the problem's not solved. You've got to understand, in this whole idea of life, God is saying, have babies, but make sure your motives for having the babies are right. Okay? That's a big issue. You don't have a baby to anchor somebody. And a lot of these young folks do. They find Mr. Right, and they get pregnant on purpose because they want to anchor the guy, or vice versa, or whatever. If you're not going to invest in that child, why are you having children? So, with all that said, make sure when you understand this principle, it's balanced with 1 Timothy chapter 5. Let's move on. Number two, uh, verse 2, and the fear of you and the dread of you shall be on every beast of the earth, on every bird of the air, on all that move on the earth, and on all the fish of the sea. Notice something is missing here. This is basically, something's changed, obviously. But what's missing is subdue and have dominion is now missing. This is what Adam was told, but he was told to have dominion over the animals and subdue them. But man's fall has happened, and something has radically changed that needs to be discussed right now. Man's fall happened, and that means that he lost his authority to subdue and have dominion, and the usurper took his authority. Do you know who the usurper is? Satan. The whole garden scene is to cause Adam to fall so Satan can usurp his authority. And Adam lost his authority. He lost his dominion. That means you and I have lost our dominion. Guess who got our dominion back? Jesus, the second Adam. And that's why Revelation 5 is a key passage to understand getting our dominion back. Only Jesus can take the scroll, the rightful heir of dominion, and break the seals to get our dominion back. 
because his sacrifice provided the basis for that. So that's, that's what you have to understand. Jesus got our dominion back. We don't see it now, but we will in the millennial kingdom as he restores our dominion back. But because of this, Satan now has what's called become the God of this world. Like Jesus said in John 12, 31, that Satan is the prince of this world. And therefore, he has the right now as a usurper to give his kingdoms to whomever he wants to. Now, understand this. He tried to offer his kingdoms to Jesus. Do you remember that? In the temptation, if you will just bow down to me and worship me, I will give you these kingdoms. They're all yours. If you want them, I have the authority to give them to you. And he did. And obviously, Christ responded back, you should worship the Lord your God and him only. So Christ passed the test, obviously, as we know he would. But guess what? Another offer will be made in the future to an individual. Satan will offer the kingdoms to who? Antichrist. And guess what that old boy is going to do? He's going to take them. And the Antichrist obviously will bow down to the to Satan, and he will be given the kingdoms of the world, right? So I know that that's what you have to understand. All of this is why this is missing. It's because of that. That's why it's missing. And so obviously he's talking about the animals. Let's talk a little bit briefly about the animals. He says fear and dread will come to them with humans. And that's a protective mechanism, obviously, for the animals because now we're going to eat them. And so in order for us, uh, for the animals to preserve themselves, a f natural fear is put into animals that they will fear human beings. Whatever, whatever scent they smell with us, that makes them afraid, except, except for our domesticated animals, obviously. But now human beings will have a limited authority over animals. It's limited, okay? And then he says in the, in the text, they're given into your hand, and that phrase, they are given into your hand, means that even though the animals won't submit to us, we have a certain amount of authority in determining the life and death of an animal, okay? That power is given to human beings. And then, obviously, he's going to say, every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. That's one of the main issues of why they're under our authority is that we're going to start eating them at this point in time, just like we do today. I have given you all things, even as the green herb. So man will become an omnivore. Before the flood, he was just a uh, vegetarian. But now from this point on, and even till to this day, because the Noahic covenant is still in effect, you and I can eat animals. Something radically changed with the flood. Apparently, again, this is a guess, that the protein that was available in the plants before the flood was sufficient for us. But now God moves into being more uh, protein-based, which means the kind of plants that we will grow after the flood will not provide enough protein to be sufficient for humans, so he allows us to eat animals for protein. Now, I want you to think about this. You're saying that Noahic, the Noahic covenant is still in effect. Yes, that means I can eat anything I want to. Absolutely. So, for instance, in passages, you'll have Paul warn Timothy that what's going to happen in the last days about this whole e eating of food. I know it seems insignificant, but it is significant. Watch this passage. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times or in the last days, which we are in, some will depart from the faith, that's the apostasy, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. That's the core of it, where it's coming from. 
And what will they do when they receive doctrines of demons and these lies coming from demons? Speak lies and hypocrisy, okay? Having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, okay? They won't feel like they're doing anything wrong. Forbidding to marry. That's here. They're saying you can marry anybody. Why do we need a certificate? You can want to marry another dude, and you can marry the dude. If you want to marry a gal, you can marry a gal. It doesn't matter. You want to do whatever. It's, it's, we're, we're, bank, we're, we're that close of banking on that passage coming to fruition. And commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Why would Paul throw that in there? It seems odd that in, in, in apostasy, they're going to go and start messing with food. Bingo, you got it. The food issue that the demons are, are teaching false doctrine with is an attack on the Noahic covenant. It's an attack on the prescriptions given to Noah that still stand today. When you hear these tree huggers tell you not to eat a hamburger because of the methane gas that comes out of that animal and causes carbon emissions by the methane flagellants from that cow. Tell them, take a hike. Tell them, put an egg in your shoe and beat it. I don't want to hear your nonsense. Because they are carrying with them a false doctrine of vegetarianism. Any Christian that starts promoting vegetarianism is off the mark. Because God is saying, and in Paul says, look at what he says, which God created to be received with thanksgiving. When they lay that nice steak in front of you, that New York, that filet mignon, you thank God for that thing, man. <laughs> you make sure you do. Hey, man, I've never won any friends with salad. You win friends with steaks. Okay. Don't you ever forget that. Because what will happen is they'll, they'll, they'll make you this, this cotton candy Christianity that extols the virtues of uh, carbon emissions and, and vegetarianism, and, and this is the key. They will make you think you're being spiritual. That's the new religion. And that's how deceptive thing It's crept into the church now. You know, so Rick Warren promotes the quote-unquote Daniel diet. Have you heard that one? It's all vegetables and stuff. And I want to say, hey, dude, do you even understand the context of why Daniel was doing that? He was not eating unclean meat, which the, they were doing there. He, so he, instead of eating defiled meat, he just stuck with the vegetables and the fruits or whatever was available because he wasn't going to do break Mosaic law and eat non-kosher foods. Apparently, Rick Warren doesn't understand the context of that, apparently. But you don't write a book and call it the Daniel diet and sell it and say, this is the way to eat, to lose weight. That's ridiculous. What God is saying is you can eat it all. And if you want to eat bottom feeders, like shrimp, like lobster, go for it. Sky's the limit. Just put a lot of butter on it and you will be good. That's what I'm looking forward to. But I know it says, why, do you, why, why are you having this conversation? Because it's becoming the religion of pantheism here in America. They're trying to attack cows. Saying there's too much methane coming out of them. Do you know, you understand they want to eliminate hamburger places? These jokers up in Sacramento, 
We don't want hamburger places anymore. And this is why Burger King, McDonald's come out with a plant burger. A plant burger. Why would I go to a burger joint to get a plant burger? Why, am I crazy? Or am I going to save the environment by eating a plant burger? I mean, this is why they're all buying into this pantheistic religion. And you know what it really is? It's, it's Hinduism. Because you know in India, in India, they got cows walking across the street and they're starving to death. Because these cows are like gods to them. Hey, that's, or that's Aunt, Aunt Lou. Um, she turned into a cow after she died. She got reincarnated. That's Uncle Bob. He turned into a cow. We can't kill him. He's walking the streets. That's how crazy that is. So you look at that, well, that's crazy. Why would anyone? They're doing it here. They think that's cool. Let me tell you one more application before we move on about this animal thing. He says, they are given into your hand, which means man is the authority over the animal, not the animal over the man. And I know these radical environmental groups like PETA and whatever, start putting animals on the level of humans or even above humans. They care more about baby seals than they do about children in the womb being slaughtered in our country. And I'm not for wiping out animals. Don't get me wrong. We're, we, we have stewardship over animals, and you don't want to make any animal extinct. I get that. But for goodness sake, the kit fox here in Bakersfield is not on the level of a baby. I'm sorry. Right? It's ridiculous what they're doing now. We're, they're more concerned about that than they are people. And what's happened is it's, they have equated animals now on the same level because evolution has taught us that, or, or, or taught the, all these people that, oh, you're the same as an animal. You're just an animal. You're just an ape without hair. Well, that, that's crazy. But that's what starts happening. They start being put on the same level. And now animals have more rights than a baby in a womb. That's a culture of death. That's going against the scripture. Now, that being the case, let's move on to the next phase. Verse 4, he's going to explain something to us. In verse 4, it says this, But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. This command still stands for today. The Noahic covenant is still in effect, by the way. One of the main reasons for the tribulation period is to hammer Gentiles who have broken the Noahic covenant. And the big issue in the Noahic covenant is murder. And murder will receive a capital offense, or, or capital punishment, I should say. And because it doesn't happen, one of the main reasons for the tribulation is so that God can avenge all the murders on the Gentiles. Now, there's reasons for Israel, and there's multiple reasons, but that's one of the reasons. But let's talk about this, this idea of you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. Obviously, we understand from Scripture that blood is a symbol for life, and the shedding of blood is a symbol for death. So God holds blood sacred because of the symbolism in it. Now, we know scientifically God is right. Blood is the key component in our makeup, right? But let me show you how this has continued on. It's not like an Old Testament thing. It's a church thing, too. Acts 15, 29. Watch this. That you should abstain. He's telling the church this at the Jerusalem council. 
from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Now, the idea is in this is even to this day, you are not to eat blood. You are not to drink blood. That is an ongoing thing. So they were telling these Gentiles in the church, hey, guys, you got to stop drinking blood. You think that was a problem? Yeah, it was a problem. These Gentile pagans, in their practicing of worshiping these false gods, were eating and drinking blood. It is a common human occurrence in paganism. Interesting enough that the whole vampire thing has gotten a lot of press now. And what, what is the vampire story? It's drinking blood, isn't it? For life. So it goes against the symbolic nature of it. Isn't it interesting that one of the famous book series, and now it's a movie series, is this Twilight thing? I know it's going back in the past. You remember the Twilight series of books and movies? Do you know that the gal who wrote those series of books was a Mormon? But number two, she was channeling a demon called Edward, which is the main character in the book, right? And this Edward demon would tell her what to write. So there was actually practicing auto-dictation. And she wrote the whole Twilight series. She, she, she said it herself. I'm not making this up. She said it herself that this Edward character would wake her up at night to continue writing. And if she made mistakes, the Edward character would, would correct her. And he wouldn't leave her alone until she w- wrote the whole Twilight series. What is the whole Twilight series? It's drinking blood, but it's trying to get eternal life without Christ. It's demonic. And even today, this idea of drinking blood, you think, oh, that's, no one's doing that. Oh, really? What about Hillary Clinton doing spiritual cooking and Podesta and the rest of these Satanists in politics who do spiritual cooking? Do you know what spiritual cooking is? They'll get a bathtub full of blood, human blood, excrement, and everything else they can throw in there. They'll put a live woman in there naked, and they all take spoonfuls of this blood. It's called spiritual cooking. Our politicians, some of them, not all of them, participate in these kinds of activities. When you see what's behind some of these elites in our country, they're pure Satanists. They're flat-out Satanists. They're drinking blood. Who would do that in their right mind? You've got to be either a witch or a Satanist to be doing those kinds of things. Oh, is it surprise you that we have Satanists in our politicians? I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised at all that they're doing spiritual cooking, are you? I know that's kind of gross, but you need to know that. This is the world we live in. And God's saying, don't eat blood, don't eat blood. Eating blood is associated to the occult. That's what all the occult does. They eat blood and drink blood. They baptize their converts in blood, human blood. I remember there was a Satanist that came to a previous church. He was a convert to Christianity, and uh, he was sold out for Christ, but he was a Satanist. And he says, we baptize people in human blood, into Satanism. It's a real deal. I dealt with another Satanist who confirmed that. And they, yeah, we, we baptize in blood. So what you see with Satan using, he uses blood for the wrong reasons to counter what God is saying. Well, look what God says in Leviticus 17. For the life of every creature is its blood. The life force of how we're created. It's not our bones. It's not our muscles. It's blood. And 
when you see a picture like this, I'm going to show you a picture. Obviously, that's our, our like a vein or something like that. But let me show you this picture real quick. This is what we look like when you take all the stuff away, our skin and stuff. This is our blood inside of our body. That's fascinating. That's us. The main issue of how we're created is by blood. And that blood, as you know, medically does all kinds of things. It's incredible what blood does. Blood flow has to go to all parts of the body or that part will die, right? Blood supplies all of our cells, muscles, muscles, tissues. And by the way, our blood coordinates with our organs and our, our hormones to provide whatever is necessary to that part of the body. Uh, it protects us. That's why we have white blood cells. Protects us from infection. And our blood, it, it gives us, it gives the body feedback of what's going on inside of it. God said it thousands of years ago. The life is in the blood. And we, now we know scientifically and medically, he's right. Our life is in our blood. Is the key component of everything we do. And this is why God values this as far as us as not only being made in the image of God, but this is how he created us. And hence, the life force is then used as a substitute for sacrifice. It totally makes sense in the way he created us. That's why Jesus' blood is the only thing that can make atonement for us. He has to shed his blood. He has to die as a substitute using his blood for us. And his blood has eternal value, right? Amazing, isn't it? Verse 5, he says, Surely for your lifeblood I will demand a reckoning. From, every, from the hand of every beast I will require it. From the hand of man, from the hand of every man's brother, I will require the life of a man. That, my friends, is called capital punishment. That is what the, the basis of all government. This is where the introduction right here of civil government, because he says, I require a reckoning. I'm going to require this, but I want you human beings to carry it out. Well, the only way to carry that out is through his civil government. And so hence, this is the basis of our constitution. This is the basis of, of how laws should work. The idea is you take a life in murder, I'm not talking about accidents or anything like that, or I'm not talking about war either, because that doesn't qualify for murder. Murder, the Ten Commandments, is not thou shall not kill, it's thou shall not murder, which is a big difference. Because these, these radical uh, abortionists will say, uh, or even leftists will say, well, how can you guys be against abortion, but you're for capital punishment? Well, it's apples and oranges, that's why. The Bible doesn't say thou shalt not kill, because if it did that, we couldn't go to war. It says thou shalt not murder, which means premeditated, I'm going to take someone's life because I want to take their life. So I can be against abortion because that's the killing of an innocent baby and for capital punishment because that's the justice that must come upon that person for taking someone else's life. That person's guilty, the baby is innocent. That's how you can keep the two separate. It's that, I don't understand why they don't understand logic. It's just, it seems to make sense to me, but I guess it doesn't make sense to them. But nonetheless, government has the right to take your life. Question, 
What's happening now, the state of California or the rest of the United States, about capital punishment? Bye-bye. We're going to give them life in prison now because we want to rehabilitate them. Question, this thing you're reading right now, which is the basis of all government, does it say anything about, well, let's keep them alive to rehabilitate them? Nope, doesn't. Well, let's give them a second chance. Nope. God's saying you take a life, even if an animal takes a life, you kill that animal. What's going on here? God is showing the value of human life. When a politician or a leftist says, we don't want to kill someone on death row, they are devaluing life. What life are they devaluing? The one who got murdered. That's who they're devaluing. It's not wrong to foist on someone capital punishment if they're a murderer. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, giving them the salvation. We should. We should give the salvation gospel before they're executed. But when you go away from capital punishment, your society is now embracing death. Again, think about what capital punishment is for. It's for justice. It's for punitive. It's not for money. This is all justice. And our society, especially our circuits of courts, are now no longer practicing justice anymore. We are in a difficult period of time if you're not going to be willing to, to do this to an individual who murders. Think about this, this guy that shot that poor girl in San Francisco. He was an illegal alien. Remember that? Oh, I can't use that word, right? I can't use illegal and I can't use alien, can I? Undocumented person, whatever, illegal alien. The poor gal is in, in San Francisco. The dude had been uh, deported I don't know how many times. He's back there in San Francisco. And he shoots that girl. Remember that? I can't remember her name. Haley? Kate, Kate, that's it. Kate Steinley, right? That poor girl gets murdered by this creep. And what do they do to him? Nothing. Hey, when a culture won't do something to somebody who takes someone's life, you got a problem there justice-wise. We're seeing injustice happen. Again, this is basic. This is all basic stuff, and you and I get that. But look what's happening in our government. They won't practice it. They simply won't do anything about this. What's some application? We've got to wrap up things up, and we'll continue this next week. The application is this. As you're seeing, God is putting a high price on human life. He's putting value on it, higher than anything in this world. It's valuable. It's to be protected. It's to be taken care of. Let me give you the principle. When you see life, the principle is the strong protect the weak. The strong protect the innocent. If I could use that principle on abortion, I could use that principle also if I was working for the government doing foreign policy. If you were in the cabinet doing foreign policy, the principle you'd be working on is I preserve life, I protect life, the strong protects the weak. That's how foreign policy should be ran. Anything you do in life should promote life. Now let's get down to the nitty-gritty. In my own relationships, in my own marriage, in my own circle of influence, if I'm acting like a goon, okay, and I keep acting like a goon, which means I'm, I'm not obeying Messiah, I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do, I'm going to be a creep to people. And people are not going to like me. 
and people are not going to want to be around me. And what will happen is, because of disobedience, you will introduce chaos into your relationships. And this is where fighting comes from. If we will just simply obey the Lord, do what we're supposed to do, it automatically sets our relationships right. It will produce life. I'm the way, truth, life. Follow the progression. I'm going to follow Jesus' way on my life. I'm going to do what he says to do because what I believe what he says is true. And if I do what he says is true, it will give me life in all my relationships. Now, again, I know there's people that are like a porcupine and you just can't get close to them because they're going to stick you every time. I get that. For, admit, you know, get rid of the porcupines. I get that. But for the rest of your, the relationships, your relationships should be producing life if you're obeying. Let me give you a, a, an illustration of showing you that we're not built this way. We're just not built this way because of our sin nature. This is, I think, back in the uh, 60s, I think it was, or maybe late 70s. Um, you remember the name Catherine Kitty Genovese? Some of you might. She was 28 years old, walking in Queens in New York, and she got attacked twice at the same time. So the first attack... The guy tried, well, he did rape her, and he stabbed her. She was still alive, screaming and screaming. And then as she was screaming, he went away, but then he came back, and he finished her off and continued to stab her and kill her. Do you know that 38 people watched that happen in front of them and did nothing? They did nothing. They watched this poor 28-year-old get raped and stabbed to death. When they were asked, hey, man, why didn't you get involved? Here's some of their responses. This will blow your mind. Well, I heard a scream, um, but I was tired, so I went back to bed. Or another response, well, I didn't want to get involved. I just didn't want to get involved. When you hear people, 38 people say, I, went, I heard the scream, but I went back to bed, or I didn't want to get involved, that's people who don't value life. Because if you value life, you will stand up for it. You will take a stand against a culture of death. And you will be the watcher on the wall that says, not on my watch. That's not happening. I hope you remember this little passage because this is what our culture is going against. We can't sit back and let it happen. You have to say something. You have to take a stand for life. Spray. Thanks for downloading the Anchor Podcast. We hope this study was a blessing to you. Support for this podcast comes from your generous gifts and donations. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website, rockharborchurch.net. Also, check out our YouTube channel, Rock Harbor Church Prophecy Update, where we focus on signs of the times and present a wide range of sermons and discipleship lessons. So until next time, keep looking up, for our redemption draws near.